Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Marion said it, but I want to say it again. Happy Mother's Day to every mom that's here. We love you. We thank you. Many of us, well, I mean, we wouldn't be here without you. I mean, let's just be honest. We, we, we can't be here without our moms. So thank you for more reasons than one. I'm Alvin, in case you don't know, if it's your first time, welcome to Nashville Life. I'm lead pastor here, and it's an honor to spend this Mother's Day afternoon with you. Uh, we have got some good things. We are moving uh, locations, our first ever church building. We've never um, owned our own building before. Uh, and this could very well be our last full month in Christ church. So, so this is a very exciting time. Um, it's, a, it's a very pivotal time in more ways than one. I just became pastor uh, January of this year. We're moving into a new space. We're getting a new service time. Uh, there's just a lot of big stuff happening, and, and I sense a lot of momentum. Uh, this series that we're in for the month of May is called Fight Forward, and the reason why we're calling it Fight Forward is because we're actually in a, a, a very advancing time. I think our church is advancing in, in various ways, and if you look in Scripture, whenever God is advancing his people, it never fails. It's always met with resistance. Whenever there is a graduation, whenever there is a promotion, whenever there is an advancement, if you look in Scripture, you will see a constant theme. With every advancement, there comes adversity. There comes resistance. To the point, it's so clockwork to where, as people of God, if you know this theme, you actually start to get encouraged when you do sense resistance, because according to scripture and according to the theme of God's people, whenever there is an advancement, whenever there's a forward motion, uh, resistance comes. And I want our church to be equipped. I want our church to be prepared. I want our church to do what scripture says and to, to think it not strange when, when, when difficult things hit your life, but know that it's actually a sign that you're moving forward. And, I, you know, the worst thing is to take a sign that we're moving forward as a sign that you're supposed to retreat. You know, it's, how unfortunate would it be if the actual sign that we're actually progressing and doing well, we would interpret as we're doing a bad job and we should stop. And so often that happens with the people of God. When they don't understand this theme, when they don't understand this, this pattern with God's people, we can misinterpret resistance and adversity as a signal to stop when it's actually the signal to keep going and keep pressing. So I want our church to be equipped so that not if, but when resistance comes and when adversity comes, you see it as a sign that things are on track and you should keep on pressing and not give up. So when I'm talking about advancement, uh, I want to specify for today and really in general, I, I'm talking about growth, growth, uh, multiplication, uh, whenever you see uh, a move of God, it involves 
either directly or indirectly growth happening in the kingdom of God. And I'm actually going to specify and say numerical growth. Uh, Additional people who now believe in God. I know there's the growth that happens internally, and I'm all for that growth of, you know, you growing in your character. But even that, you grow in your character so that you will be more... uh, useful in bringing more people to Jesus. So even our internal growth still somehow goes back to numerical growth. Uh, There's a growing school of thought uh, in the modern church that, you know, the church is not about numbers. And I want us to be careful with this because it's very common, and I've probably even said it in certain contexts. I want to make sure that we reserve that statement because that's a very broad statement that, that we're saying. And I want to make sure that we only use that when we're talking about growth that happens uh, in a way that God didn't prescribe for it to happen. God is pro-growth, but God just wants growth to happen the way that he designed for it to happen. And that's by his spirit. So in, in efforts of not growing improperly. I don't want us to go so far to where we end up making it like the church should not be growing numerically. Uh, that is not biblical. That is not scriptural. If you look at from, from Israel to the body of Christ in the New Testament, there is numerical growth. And yes, people say, you know, people are more than just numbers. And yeah, but every, I mean, I, and I agree, but every number is a person. So, like, we got to start just making sure we stay reasonable here and, and in efforts of making a point. And, and yet yeah, it sounds pious and it sounds humble, but every number that you reject is a person that you're reject, rejecting. Every number is an individual. And if God's will is that no man should perish but all have eternal life and all come to repentance, we're talking about a lot of numbers, God's vision involves growing numbers, and we have to make sure that we don't step step into error in efforts of being, uh, I don't know, proper or humble or whatever, that we begin to shun or condemn uh, growing numbers, because every number is a person. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 19 Great commission, this is the the last commission that Jesus gives before he ascends into heaven. He tells his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All nations, that's a lot of people. God's vision involves growing numbers, and we see this throughout Scripture. I mentioned that this vision for growing numbers, uh, it, was, it was for the church, and we see it in the church, but we also see it uh, before the church, before the church of Jesus Christ, with uh, a man named Abraham. Abraham, in case you're not familiar, is the, the patriarch of the faith that we walk in today. He is the individual that God saw fit to start this amazing redemption plan of of. of a people uh, who are called to God's exclusive use to bring blessings to the world. That started with Israel, and then it graduated to what we have right now, and that is the church. Um, Let's read about 
God's vision to Abraham. Genesis 15, chapter 5. And he brought him outside. God brought Abraham outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So if God is not by numbers, I'm sorry, if God is not about numbers, I find it very interesting that the first thing he tells Abraham to do is to count. If God is not about numbers, it's very interesting that the first thing he tells Abraham to do is to count, literally, number one, two, three, four, five. He says, if you can, because essentially there's a, there's a ton of stars in the sky. He said, the number of stars that you see in the sky, that's how many people, that's how large the numbers are going to be of what I'm going to give you. That's why we got to watch ourselves, guys. We can't get... We can't just start running with thoughts and statements. When we see a big church, we're at a point now we're so prideful that the bigger the church, the less spiritual we think they are. And it ends up being, I could go on to that. Praise God. We, if you're not a big church, don't be a hater. Don't try to make yourself feel more holy just because you're not drawing the people that other people are doing, all right? So let's not hate and let's not use spiritual growth and maturity as a vehicle just to be haters. All right? Again, God is pro-growth, but it does need to be done his way. All right? So let's just watch ourselves. I'm just saying be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful. Because God is about the growth and he wants the numbers to grow. Genesis 22, verse 17 I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply. We're talking math again. We got numbers coming back. Multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. I love this passage because it actually talks about two themes that, that we're kind of explore, exploring today. First is growth, numerical growth. Multiplication, which we covered, God's vision involves numbers growing. More people knowing the goodness of God. More people believing. For every number that believes in Jesus, that's more people who believe in Jesus. And if I have to clarify, that's a good thing. I feel like we reached a point in time where I actually have to clarify that that's a good thing. If we double in size and someone's sitting in your seat next week, that's a good thing. Church people, we have to be careful, guys. We'll get to the point where we'll actually start to detest growth. Oh, it's just not what it used to be anymore. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope that we're not here in 10 years. Please, guys, watch our hearts, guys. Growth is a good thing. God's vision involves growing numbers. So that's the first thing. He says, I will multiply. He said, not, and we're not talking about filling out a stadium. That's a lot of people. We're talking grain of sand numbers. 
Like, he's not just talking about a crowd. He's not just talking about a ton of folks. He's talking about sand on, like, have y'all, <laughs> I don't think anyone's done this. Have y'all actually started to count? Have y'all gone to the beach and count sand? Like, you'd get tired after, like, one yard. That's how many people God promised Abraham. So let's not detest the very thing that God wants to see happen. All right? So that's the first theme. The second one is, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. This theme of this month is about fighting, fighting forward. So you can't talk about fighting without talking about the existence and the tactics of the enemy, which last week was all about the introduction into that. We have an enemy. He's not a person or he's, he's not flesh and blood, I should say. He's a spirit. There's a team of spirits that's against the church. And a church that is ignorant of this is a church that's already defeated. We cannot be ignorant of the enemy's devices. A, a believer who is ignorant of the enemy's devices is as good as a person going out to the battlefield without any weapons or any shield. You're vulnerable and the first dart the devil thinks about throwing your way, you're out. So we cannot be a church or a people who, do, who don't understand that this advancement has a built-in resistance and it's given by a team of spirits. It's an enemy. It's, it's a demonic realm, principalities. We must know that this exists. I don't think that we should be uh, devil-centered, but we should definitely be informed you know we don't you know we don't live our life we don't shout we shouldn't shout louder that we have dominion over demons than we are that our names are written in the book of life but at the same time we have to know that we have dominion over demons you get what i'm saying like it's a balance you got to know that you can cast out devils but that can't be the number one thing that you're excited about because that's when it starts getting weird God's people shall possess the gate of his enemy. He, the offspring that I believe that, Ab uh, that God was referring to is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the offspring that will, that eventually possessed the gate of the enemy. When he died on the cross for our sins on Calvary, when he was raised from the dead, he took dominion over sin and hell and the grave. And because of his possession of the gate of the enemy, that's why the gates of hell won't prevail against us. He has shared this position. Not only does Jesus possess the gate of his enemy, but then he says, I'm going to share it with you. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So we get to reap from this dominion that Jesus purchased. I want to share a story about how the gates of hell cannot prevail against the growing numbers of the church. In case you didn't know, the growing numbers, the growth of the church is unstoppable. In case you've been discouraged, 
in case you've wondered, the gates of hell, there is nothing that will stop the advancement, and specifically I'm talking about the numerical growth of the church. And I've got a story that beautifully foreshadows this truth, and it's a fun story. Um, but the pre-story, the prequel to this story is uh, a man that we've learned about already in January. We spent the whole month talking on Joseph. Uh, Joseph, really, uh, he's, I think it changes. Right now, he's kind of my favorite. Like, besides Jesus, I think he might be my favorite character in the Bible. And that story is just so good. And it's actually what inspired our year. Our year theme is called I'm a Life Giver. And it's inspired by the story of Joseph. Our theme for 2021 is inspired by this man. Um, because of Joseph, his people, the Israelites, were able to find provision in the land of Egypt. There was a famine in their land, and there was a great abundance in Egypt. And Joseph, got to read the story to get the details, but he got really tight with the Pharaoh of that time. And because of his connections and because of his favor with Pharaoh, his entire people, all of his friends, family, their families, the entire nation of Israel, end up finding favor in Egypt, and they got to dwell in Egypt. And in case you didn't know, Israel uh, is the, the, the people that God promised to Abraham. He says, these people, they're going to be greater than the numbers of the stars in the sky and grain of sand on the seashore. So that's Joseph's family. Joseph's a part of that promise. So here these people, this people that God promised that would uh, grow and outnumber, you know, the stars of the sky and sand in the seashore, they had a tough time. They were in a famine, and God saw fit for them to find provision in Egypt. Great story, right? Awesome. So they're living well. They've got the very head of Egypt saying, if anybody who's friends with Joseph is friends of me, and he just gave them the best of the best and showed them a lot of favor. And they were living in Egypt. And they were, according to God's promise, they knew how to increase in number. They were extremely fertile. The people of Israel had a lot of kids. And they kept on having kids. And they kept on having kids. And they started growing like mothers were just bearing children left and right. And it was, it was almost kind of scary. Like it was like, oh my God, these people. And they got so many to where they started to outnumber the very nation they were guests in. They were guests in Egypt, but they were, because of this grace on their life, remember the promise on their life was growing numbers. They were actually anointed to have children. They were anointed to multiply. They were anointed to conceive and to give birth. So this anointing was just happening and moms were just month after month, I'm pregnant again, oh my God, I'm pregnant again. It's twins, it's triplets, it's babies everywhere and they're growing up and then they're starting to have babies. And it just starts to get a lot, right? To the where now, Egypt is starting to get a little nervous. They're like, I mean, we gave y'all a little section <laughs> over here, but y'all are now all the way over here, and Pharaoh started to get threatened. He said, oh, man, this is not going to end well. 
because there's strength in numbers. And Israel is strong. And what's going to happen is they might want to rise up and push us out of our own home. We can't let that happen. So he devises a plan and he begins to inflict resistance on God's people. Pharaoh begins to plot resistance to stop the numbers. He wanted to abort the growing numbers of this people because they were getting a little bit too strong. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 12. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So we're in another time. The one that Joseph was tied with, he's gone. There's a new guy. He don't care about Joseph. He's like, I don't even know who Joseph is. He doesn't have that same uh, attachment in his heart towards Joseph like the Pharaoh of the other generation did. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty because there's strength in numbers. So if it's a lot of y'all, you're strong. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. The fear was multiplication. The fear was growth. The fear is the numbers increasing. So let's put together a plan, because if we don't, they're going to keep growing. The numbers are going to increase. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens, with hope that the heavy burdens will stop the multiplication. The heavy burdens will diminish the numbers. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, if that's how you say it. Um, that's how I say it. Uh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. What Pharaoh didn't realize, these weren't just some normal people. These were people with a supernatural grace on their life to multiply. And in his ignorance, he thought, if I put on resistance, that'll stop. But he didn't know that he was not dealing with flesh and blood. He was dealing with the spirit of God. And scripture says that the more God's people were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Pharaoh didn't see that coming. He said, and the more they spread abroad. So not only were they multiplying, but they were actually gaining surface area. They started gaining ground. They started going out to that part of town and that part of town. So the efforts to stop and abort the numbers was backfiring and actually making the numbers greater. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. They dreaded God's people. Too many of them. And the more we try to stop them, the more we inflict on them, the more they grow. So I mentioned last week, review, God 
is someone that allows resistance. And now maybe you can know why. God is a father who allows resistance not because he's mean, not because he wants to see you defeated, but according to the word of God, the more resistance on your life, the more you're going to grow. The more adversity. That's why scripture says count it all joy. Now we understand. Some of you guys have been so confused at that scripture. How in the heck is God telling me to count this joy? Count it joy because scripture shows that when you are inflicted with resistance, it will actually have a reverse effect and produce a character in you that is so fruitful that you will win more people to Jesus post that struggle than you did before that struggle. Not because he wants the enemy to win, but he wants people to learn how to fight as well. The greater a leader has a capacity for resistance, the further you'll go. Which is why being a leader for me is tough because I believe in mourning with those who mourn and having empathy, but at the same time, in style of God the Father, I can't save you from resistance. That's the very thing that's going to develop you. If God doesn't save us from resistance, what, what, as a pastor, I'm not going to do that. Now, I'm going to walk with you. I'll cry with you. But I'm not going to save you from the resistance. That's the very thing that's going to save your life. That's the very thing that's going to save your family. That's the very thing that's going to grow the kingdom of God, that resistance that's in your life. When you learn how to conquer adversity, it builds a muscle. It teaches you how to use skills that you didn't even know that you had. It's a blessing to you, it's a blessing to your family, and it's a blessing to the will of God. Are y'all still with me? So, we see the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Then Pharaoh said, okay, he still didn't get it. The devil still doesn't get it. He goes, well, let me put more resistance on them. So, given what we know... The very thing that he thinks is going to make it worse, it's only going to make it, well, worse for him, better for God's people. So let's see what happened. Exodus 1, 20. Oh, sorry. Before I go there, because I, I wanted, there was a lot to read. So what he did, well, he said that he took the Egyptian midwives and he said, this one starts getting real dark, so I'm sorry if you are sensitive because... This is gruesome. But he said, all right, the burdens and the tasks that I'm putting on them is not enough. I got to go to the next level. He said, get all the midwives, all the Egyptian midwives. And he gave them a command to kill the, the sons that were born of Israel. So the very people who were paid to deliver the babies, he was telling them if it was a boy, kill, kill them. And the Bible says that the midwives feared God. So even though Pharaoh told them, if you see a boy, kill him, they weren't doing it. They, they, they were not killing the babies. And it was out of fear of the Lord, even though it was against what Pharaoh told them to do. Um, let's see how God handled it. 
Exodus 1, 20 through 22. So God dealt well with the midwives. So the midwives that, that went against what Pharaoh said and saved the babies instead of killing them, he dealt well with them. And the people multiplied. So even with this decree to kill the babies, the people, God's people, multiplied and grew very strong. So you see, again, they keep, they keep on tying the numbers with strength. Pharaoh said, there's too many of them and they're too mighty for them. This says, they multiplied and grew strong. And I love this part. Such a cool little side plot. And the midwives had their own little glory. The mid, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Isn't that cool? They weren't even God's people. They were Egyptians, but they showed favor to God's people. And if you see in Scripture, even if you weren't a part of the promise, if you did a favor for God's people, God blessed you because of it, which is why we say, guys, bless God's people. You know, give to the kingdom of God. History shows that people who, who show favor and, and benefit the people of God God shows great favor with them. He blesses them. And I love how he blessed them. He blessed them with families. Isn't that? I mean, yeah, it's just like it gives you a warm feeling inside. Like he gave, you know, this midwife, and he, he, he saw fit that she found a, a man and had kids and, like, had her family. Like, I just love that. And it just also shows that growing numbers is a part of God's heart. You know, I want to bless them. I want to bless them by multiplying them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless them by allowing them to produce and I just love that part that's not even the main part of my message but it just makes me feel nice uh, then Pharaoh commanded all his people so Pharaoh's mad forget the midwives I can't trust them let me tell all of you everybody every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live which is a whole other message. Um, but let's keep going. I love how the midwives who soared the babies, who saved the babies, uh, they were blessed with their own families. So again, we see God's vision involves growing numbers. God vision, God's vision made Pharaoh really mad, and he commanded all the people to kill the newborns. Sorry, we already said that. Here we go. This is where we get to the, 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 main, the main part, because I want to talk about a mom. And her name is uh, Jacobed. And I kept on calling her Jacob Beth this week. Sorry. It's not Beth. Um, it's Bed. Jacobed. Um, this is a mom who was a Hebrew woman. And this is her story. Exodus 2, 2 through 10. The woman conceived, Jacobed, she conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrush and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds 
and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. All right, so we see that Jesus later on tells the church that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. We see God tell Abraham that the offspring would possess the gates of his enemy. I believe that Pharaoh foreshadows the gates of hell trying to abort the growing numbers of the church. But what's so great about this story is since his mother, Moses' mother, Jacobit, decided to fight and persevere to save her son, not only did her son live, he was adopted by the very family that wanted him dead. This is what supernatural favor looks like. This is what the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church look, looks like. The very people that were set up to kill Moses end up being his adopted family that took him in. And his birth mother, who was willing to lose him for his sake, not only got to stay with her son, she got paid to nurse her son. She got paid to nurse her own son. This is what the gates of hell should not prevail looks like. This is what all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called to his purpose looks like. When you love God and you're called according to his purpose and the grace of God is on your life, the very things that were meant to end your life will actually end up paying you to do what you were already going to end up doing. It doesn't make sense to us. But God's ways, thankfully, are not like our ways. And the grace of God, it's unstoppable. Literally, the gates of hell will not prevail. No matter how hard they try, and according to this scripture, the more they try, the more it will backfire. Romans 8, 28 literally says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Moses was called according to his purpose. God's purpose includes growing numbers. It includes more people being reconciled to him. It includes more disciples 
More cities for Christ. More nations for Christ. More families for Christ. I believe that Moses' purpose was to deliver Israel from the land that was trying to stop them from growing. Israel was enslaved by a land that was trying to stop them from growing. And Moses was called to deliver them out. Because of this, every setback that tried to abort his life worked for his benefit. This was the case in Exodus, and guys, it's the case today. It is still the case today. The favor that, you, that we just read about that was on Israel's life has been transferred to the church. He took the same grace that same multiplication anointing that Israel had. And then he then just transitioned it very smoothly through Jesus to the church. So we see God say, Abraham, you're going to grow and you're going to possess the gate of the enemy and I'm going to increase you and it's going to be, the whole world's going to be blessed through this people. Fast forward to Jesus. Church, you're going to grow, and the gates of hell won't prevail against you. And you're gonna, God's going to cover the whole world, and, 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 and the whole world will be blessed because of you. It's identical. It's the same promise. We are the extension. We are the fulfillment of the same promise that God spoke to Abraham. That promise about the grain of the sand of the seashore, the church actually is the manifestation of that. We have been given the green light. We've been given the spirit of God. We've been given every angel in heaven. We've been given every gift of the spirit. We've been given every scripture. We've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. We've been given every grace, every mercy for every sin that we've ever committed. We have been fully equipped. He has unleashed everything. He has held nothing back. Jesus said Everything the Father has given me, I have given to you. We have, I can't stress to you how strong the green light is for us to multiply. I cannot, for some, for some of you who are still waiting for a word from God to multiply, no need. No need. It's been given. The, it's, it was given before we were born, let alone when we are 30. It was given before we were born. Stop waiting for a word from God to do what you've already been released to do. You have been given the green light to multiply. It's in you. It's in you. It's actually, if you have Jesus Christ, it's actually in you. It's in you. I'm telling you, it's there. Well, Alvin, it's not that easy. I Sometimes I even hear myself talking, going like, is it really that simple? But it is. Guys, the scripture has a story of a woman that spent 20 minutes with Jesus and brought her whole town to Jesus. You're telling me you've, been, you've got two theological degrees? You've served as a life group leader for 10? You're telling me you still? Guys. Whatever the illusion that you've been buying into is not real. All you got to do is step out. And I promise you, you will live to tell the story that the grace of God was with me the whole time. And the green light is real. And you will see multiplication. 
you will see multiplication. Guys, guys, the disciples had been with Jesus for three years. Some of us have been with him for 23 years, and you're still waiting for a green light. It's already been given. And it's not condemnation because some of you guys haven't been maybe told that it was given. Or maybe you were, I don't know, maybe people were affirming the doubts that you had and maybe telling you why you weren't qualified. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know. But regardless, I can't tell you how strong the grace for multiplication is on all of your lives. And I know that's difficult to hear. Some of you guys have, have tried and nothing happened and you asked that person 10 times. And, and it can be offensive to hear that you can do it when so much of your life says that you can't. And I understand that, but I can't, I can't change the story to make you feel better. Like, I, I got to tell you, like, I can't tell you why, but all I can tell you is that you've been given the grace. You've been given the grace. Why? Because you are a product of a promise that God made to Abraham. It's not even about us. It's not about your greatness. It's not about your weakness. It's not about your intellect or your lack thereof. It's not about your, your anointing or your lack thereof. You are a product of a promise that was given to Abraham. We are the, the offspring that he was speaking about. To Abraham, you already are. Some of us are trying to be what we already are. And that's sometimes what messes us up. You know, when you're trying to be something that you are, just be. I promise you, just let, that's why he says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come, I'll give you rest. Relax. The grace is already there. Guys, I, um, for my story, you know, for me, it's, uh, I've had to really learn grace of just taking this position as pastor because, I mean, talk about thoughts of inadequacy. Talk about reasons why you're not the man for the job. I mean, I could school all y'all in, 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 in coming up with valid reasons why it shouldn't be you. But sooner or later, you just got to kind of get tired of talking yourself out of stuff. You gotta kind of get get tired of resisting and saying, "All right, he gave me the grace," and then you step out and boom, you are operating in that flow, and it's like, "Where did this come from?" God goes, "It comes from my grace," and you had it the whole time, guys. Sometimes it's sometimes next week. Come back next week because I've been talking about the enemy. But next week, I'm going to talk about uh, our own selves. Because the devil isn't the only uh, resistant supplier in our lives, just so you know. It's not just Satan. We actually have a part called us that, that plays a big... So we're going to talk all about the war that we have with our own selves next week. But this week is about the devil. Um, <laughs> uh, So right now, I want to end with just, we got to identify the resistance because the grace is already given. It's already unleashed. But there's a thing called resistance that can't, that, that uh, well, I think I talked about this last week. And please just bear with me because I want you all to understand. 
Resistance is a sign to stop you multiplying. It's to stop you from advancing. But resistance can't stop you from from advancing if you fight. If you fight, if you put on the armor of God, if you press toward the mark of the prize, if you do the things in the warfare that scripture tells us to do, you will find that the resistance is no match for your fight. However, we talked about forfeiting last week. When you don't fight, the tragedy of of not fighting is the resistance that you actually had the power to beat end up having victory in your life. Forfeiting. For instance, let's say, uh, you know, the best NBA players, five of them were playing against, like, fourth graders. And I actually like this analogy because Scripture says that when we actually see Satan, we're going to be like, that was him? He's actually not even strong. They said when we actually see who he is, we're going to be like, what? It's him? So I actually like this analogy. Imagine the top NBA players playing a game against fourth graders, right? It's no match. It's laughable, right? Laughable. The fourth graders can give all the resistance they can. They can guard and try to do all these things, and it's a joke. It's a joke compared to these players. But let's say the five players forfeit the game. The fourth graders won, not because they were stronger, but because the five players chose not to even play. That's how the church looks. That's the only way the church can be defeated. The only way the church can be defeated is if we forfeit the fight. If we even step on that court, it's game over. We are literally playing fourth graders. But if we forfeit, regardless of how strong we are, regardless of our muscles, regardless of our height, regardless of our facility, regardless of our technique, we lose the game, not because we weren't better, but we didn't fight. So the resistance is beatable, but you have to fight it to win. So when it comes to the resistance that's in your life, I want you to identify it, not so you can magnify it, but so that you can fight it. You got to know what you're fighting to fight. So I want all of us to to stand. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to identify And make clear, what's the resistance that's keeping you from advancing? What is the resistance to multiplication in my life? That's the question. What is the resistance? What I want you to ask yourself is, what is the resistance to multiplication in my life? What is the agent? What is the thing that's been assigned to my life that is preventing me from multiplying? When I say multiplying... I mean, increasing, continuing in that call for more disciples 
to be made in the city, in your life, in your, in your world. And I want to talk about multiplication in general, too. And I, I, this is, this is, uh, this might not be for everybody, but it's going to be for some of you. Some of you are experiencing resistance to multiplying biologically. Fertility challenges, guys, are a widespread issue, not just out the church, but in the church. It's a major widespread resistance. It's a major challenge. And yes, I know that the experiences and the stories hold weight. But as a pastor, as a man of faith, I can't help but to believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's vision for multiplication in your life. And I know that might be hard. I know I might be talking to people who've, who've wrestled for years, and I, and I, I don't want to seem like I'm making light of those years, but guys, I have to magnify the word of God over your experience. I have to magnify the word of God over your disappointments. It's, it's, it's what we've been called. That's the whole point of exalting the Lord. We exalt him over our own experiences. We exalt him over our own disappointments. I don't care how many times it didn't work. We have to trust that God's more powerful than all of the failures that have happened in my past. Perhaps you're experiencing resistance in multiplication spiritually. Maybe you're that person that is asking people to come to church or is offering Jesus and it seems like it's creating no traction. Maybe you did open up that life group and for three weeks you were the only one sitting in the room. I don't know. Regardless of the experience, I know that was tough. I know you might have cried. I know you might have felt this small when they said, no, I'm not coming or no, I'm not going to receive Jesus. And I'm not trying to belittle those experiences, but as a man of faith, as a man of the word, I have to exalt the word of God over our experience. I have to exalt the word of God over all the no's that you heard. All the no, I'm not coming, or no, I don't believe. As a pastor, I must believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against the growing and the advancement of the church. And when I say growing numbers, I'm not talking about church membership. It's a very different thing. It's connected, but it's not the same thing. I'm talking about more people who believe in Jesus. We need more people who are not in the faith to have their eyes open, to have their hearts convicted to the lordship and the love of Jesus Christ. In a couple of weeks, guys, not next week, but the week after, we're going to talk about a harvest, uh, an altar call, if you will, that was so big that over 3,000 people not including children and women, came to the Lord. Men, three, over 3,000 men, and that's not even including their wives and the other women and the kids, which is even more than 3,000, came to Jesus in one morning. Don't tell me God's vision does not involve growing numbers. Yes, I know he rejoices over the one, but he also has the power to win 3,000 in a morning. Let's not use that scripture as a way to lower our expectation for growth. And again, I'm not talking about growth for Nashville Life exclusive. I do think it will include Nashville Life, but we're talking about people coming from darkness to light, people having eternity in hell to having eternity in heaven. 
reason why I'm asking us to say, what is the resistance to multiplication in my life is because that's the very thing that Jesus came to die for. Jesus, sitting next to the Father in heaven, saw people who were barren, people who were scattered, people who, no matter how hard they tried, could not advance, could not multiply. And the very thing, the resistance that was aborting and stopping the multiplication was a thing called sin and a thing called death. And as long as we were shackled by sin and death, we couldn't advance. We were in chains. So Jesus came to conquer the chains and the resistance that was getting in the way of us multiplying. And when he died on the cross, scripture says that he took dominion over the things that held us bound, sin and death. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, the power of sin, the power of death has been broken over our lives. Which is why, which is why I'm telling you, you don't have to pray for a green light because you already had a green light, but there was sin in your life and there was death over you that kept you from moving. But Jesus broke that power, so now you're free. You're free to go and make disciples. You're free to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're free to teach them all that Jesus commanded us to do. And you're free to believe that he will be with you until the very end of the age. You are free. There is no longer a reason to wait. I guarantee that if somebody takes my words right now, by the end of today, some of you guys, I promise you, and I'm not, I'm, everything I'm saying has happened before, just so you know. I know people who got saved on Saturday night, and by Sunday night, their mom, their brother-in-law, their brother, their brother, their brother's wives were not only saved but baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they lived in a different state. All this happened over the phone. You're, you're talking to the wrong guy. If you want me to believe that you have to jump through more hoops for more people to come to Jesus. There is, no, there is no legal authority in the heavenly realm that is stopping you from, from being fruitful and multiplying in your faith. Please know that the green light has been given. The green light has been given. You have been, Jesus said go. He, didn't, he, he said go. Go. So let's go. Uh, you got to have Jesus, though, because he's the one that's with you. He's the one that tells you how to do it. He's the one that gives you the grace and the spirit and the power and the boldness and the precision and the accuracy and the purity and all the things that actually convict hearts. Because the Holy Spirit is what convicts hearts. And Jesus is the giver of that spirit. So if you want to receive Jesus, if you want to have the Holy Spirit, if you want to have the power to actually speak and hearts are convicted to salvation,
Repeat this prayer after me. We're going to receive Jesus. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new creation in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.